hey, today is Mother's Day, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, you could say, what's Mother's Day got to do with church? It's got everything to do with church. Let's start with the Gospel of John. John chapter 19. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to turn there in just a moment, and in a moment you'll see it on your screen. Uh, here we go. Uh, let me just separate this a little bit. Technology. There we go. And <laughs> praise God. Somebody just texted, preach it, Pastor. Thank you. God bless you. It looks like as stuff comes up on Facebook, I'll be getting it on my screen here. So if you want to encourage me, now's a good time to put some uh, encouraging words on Facebook. All right, John chapter 19. Here we have Jesus' crucifixion. Verse 25 to 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved standing and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. If you were to read this in the Passion Translation, it says, and he took her into his home and made her one of his family. I love the fact that God made us one of his family. He's made each and every one of us one of his family. I made a comment in my prayer over mothers this morning that uh, God does the natural things of, of, of humanity better than we do. Uh, and I say that because I look at this verse and here's God in a human body becoming the scapegoat for the whole world. And in the midst of horrendous agony, I mean, let's look at this from a human perspective for a moment. He was punched, he was beat up, he was spat on. He would have received 39 lashes, so his back was just ribbons of flesh hanging there. Blood was now sticky all over his legs and his um, hands and his face, his neck. His back up against that cross would have been excruciating. Uh, and a crown of thorns in his head and sweat mingled with blood dripping into his eyes totally devoid of energy, and one would pardon him if he was devoid of sensibilities under this amazing, torturous death. But I paint that picture because it's hidden here in this passage. If we're going to look at the words, if we're going to look at the fact that Jesus was thinking about his mother, we have to look at the context in which he was thinking about his mother. You see, I think God does human relationship better than we do. Here he is, God in the flesh, on the cross, 
and he's thinking about human relationship. He's thinking about the fact that a sword, an invisible sword, has just pierced his mother's soul. And she's grieving and weeping for him. And he looks at her, and uh, he addresses her future needs. As you read through the Gospels, after the birth of Jesus, and obviously Mary had several more sons and a couple of daughters, uh, they're not mentioned much, but they are there. There are verses that speak of them. We don't see Joseph. We don't know much about what happened with Joseph. And maybe at this point, even at the wedding in Galilee, we don't hear of Joseph necessarily having been there. Uh, but we see Mary often alone with her sons, maybe sometimes, with her family but very little mention or no mention of Joseph. And here's Jesus. Here's God. This is God on that cross, acknowledging the woman who allowed her body to be used, that he could be born into this world. And he sees her humanity. And in the midst of his excruciating pain, mind-numbing pain, He's thinking about relationships. And I think how apropos, the only reason he went to the cross was because he was thinking about relationships. And here he is on that cross, and he's thinking about his mother and her future and how she's going to be looked after. And he's thinking about her needs, and possibly she was a widow at this time. And he's thinking about her needs and he's thinking about her provision. I love this picture of the cross because it lets me see a God who's a better human than we are. And please don't, don't hear it through critical ears. We know that God is divine. You see, we see humanity in its fallen state. And so what we know of humanity is broken. But God sees humanity in the way that he created it before the fall. And humanity wasn't just a concept of God. Humanity came out of the heart of God. And so mankind in God's choice was meant to be clothed in his glory and clothed in his lightness. And so at the epicenter of humanity, God had relationship. And relationship, the well-being of each other, was meant to govern humanity. Look, read through the law of Moses. God is trying to put in, uh, we would say today, in ink and paper, uh, he's trying to put an expression of what he's about but in chisel and stone, God is etching out laws that are trying to explain the heart of God. And when you read the law of Moses, which came from God above, you see that the Ten Commandments are all about relationship. How we need to respect one another, how we need to treat one another, how we need to care about one another. 
And so at the cross, as Jesus is dying, number one, he's dying because of relationship, to restore relationship. And while he's on the cross and can't even lean with his back against the cross because it's just ribbons of flesh and the nerves would have been raw as raw could be, he's thinking about his mother. He's thinking about this woman that allowed her body to be a vessel that gave birth to the human shell that he lived in. And he's thinking about her and he's thinking about her needs. And I think that's the kind of God I want to love. That's the kind of God I believe in. That's the kind of God that is my hero. This is a God who governs the universe and yet he wants to take care of every individual and every specific need. And here he is as God acknowledging a mother of what was his biological or physical frame. And he's giving honor to this woman. And he says to John, this is your mother. I want you to look after her. And I see relationship shouting from the cross. God so loved the world, he wants to restore relationship. But even though his mind is on this grandiose scheme, his mind and his heart could at the same moment be on the need of one individual. I get caught up sometimes in pastoring the church that sometimes I overlook a person. If you've ever been the person I've overlooked, I apologize. But in my humanity, as I'm trying to govern the whole thing, I don't have the capacity to remember every individual but I thank God that my Father in heaven isn't like me. Because as he's governing the plan of salvation, the restoration of relationship, he has the capacity to always remember every little individual. And so we see on the cross Jesus honoring motherhood, honoring a position. I believe that before the fall, relationship, love, Caring for each other's well-being was meant to be the epicenter of what life was like and what life was about. Love God and love your neighbor just like yourself. And Eden would have remained perfect if Adam and Eve loved God first and foremost. And that entails obeying him, trusting him, don't having, not having suspicious negative thoughts about him. He's trying to hurt me. He's trying to judge me. He's trying to keep something from me. And loving each other and caring about each other. This was the epicenter of what God had meant life to be like. And he died on the cross in the form of a human being to restore that. And in the restoration of all things, we will walk in that very, very atmosphere of relationship governed by love, governed by equality, governed by the peace that comes from God. But to all you moms, we look at Mary for a moment, and I want you to know that Mary wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. She was a normal mother like everyone else. In fact, uh, when she and her Husband Joseph had gone to dedicate Jesus 
In Luke chapter 2, let's look at that for a moment. In Luke chapter 2, when the time came for purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. So here's Mary and Joseph. They have a firstborn son. It doesn't matter that it was... uh, Joseph understood this is not his biological son. That mattered not. And they're dedicating him to God. And what I see here is a mother following the ways of God so that the precedence in her children's life is the word of God. And to every mother, I urge you, I encourage you, I I hope that I can stir you and inspire you to raise your children in the ways of God. Here's Mary bringing her her son this amazing, bewildering birth that she had. And she's following scriptural commands to make sure that everything she does with this child is in keeping with God's word. And uh, then there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the constellation of Israel, the hope of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him, on Simeon. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many people in Israel. Because of this son, some will fall from their secure positions, but others will rise. And he will be a sign to this nation, but he will be spoken against. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Because of his life, what's inside of men's hearts will come to the surface. And then he says these words to her. This is at the baby dedication. He says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The same way the Spirit of God prophesied that to her. In the joy of her dedicating this baby, the Spirit, the heart, the character of God on the cross was thinking of the woman and thinking of her pain and thinking of her hurt and thinking of her loss and thinking of the fact that right now a sword was piercing her soul. 
I love God because he loves us so much. The older I get, the more I love him. Because as I think over my life, I think, <laughs> you got to be incredibly amazing to have put up with me. And I think we could all say amen. Don't make me feel alone right now. <laughs> the amazing goodness and the amazing grace of God. He saw this woman's pain and agony. I love the fact that God could relate to humanity better than I see humanity relating to humanity. I see God, the divine one, doing humanity better than us. We are humanity and we don't do it that well sometimes. And the reason is because we only know humanity from this broken perspective. But humanity comes out of who God is. He created mankind to be an extension of him. I believe we all know how in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, suddenly they saw their nakedness. Why did they suddenly see their nakedness? I believe they were clothed in glory. You know how, and this is just my opinion, so I'm going to take a moment to share it. But the same way Jesus went up on the mountain and was transfigured, and the apostles write, Peter and James and John were there, and they said, he shone with brilliance. His clothes were white. He was gleaming. He was full of light. I think Adam and Eve, before the fall, walked in the glory of God, and there was this glorious glow around them. And immediately after they had fallen, that glory and that glow that presence of God had fallen away, and they saw themselves as they were falling creatures. I believe God does humanity better than us because humanity was always meant to be a part of his heart and clothed in his glory. Can I get an amen? Absolutely. So we, the church, that have been redeemed and renewed and brought back to that glory. If relationship is not a priority to us, we don't understand what we've been saved from. Making a big deal about mom is a big deal to God. In the midst of saving the whole world, he's acknowledging his mother and acknowledging that she needs to be looked after. And when we don't love each other and care for each other, uh, we are not understanding the heart of, re of a redemptive new creation. Relationship needs to be a central focus of our lives because God so loved and God will always so love. And that's the economy of God. It's love. Faith is the outworking of loving people. It causes us to have faith. We have faith in God because we love what we believe about him. And so even faith is the outworking of great love. When there's great love, we aspire to believe there's got to be something better that's going to happen and bring a breakthrough and bring a miracle. Faith is that thing that makes us climb mountains, but it's the outworking of great love. And so here on the cross, we see Jesus acknowledging his mother. He knew a sword was piercing her soul. But was she perfect? No. 
In the same chapter of Luke, chapter 2, we read a story where Jesus <laughs> was left in Jerusalem and his parents were halfway home. It was a couple of days' journey. And here they are, after a day or so, realizing they left him home, uh, left him back in Jerusalem, and so they had to return and go back. By the time they got to him, it might have been two or three days that they weren't with him. And I just want to say to every parent right now, every dad and every mom, you could look at yourself and say, but I haven't been a great mom. You know, Mary made mistakes. She lost her firstborn. Could you imagine? God says, I'm going to come in a human body and I'm going to trust you to be the vehicle through which I'm born. And so here's Mary entrusted with the Savior of the world and she loses him. <laughs> she misplaces him at a religious feast and doesn't realize, oh, my son hasn't been with me for the last day. Most of us, are like the rest of us. I've lost every one of my three children. <laughs> I remember one time, Amy was maybe three years old, and we were pioneering a church in Dubbo, New South Wales, Australia. And uh, here we are in this little shopping plaza uh, little by American standards, and uh, we're walking around looking at the shops, and suddenly we notice our little gorgeous firstborn three-year-old was nowhere to be seen. <laughs> I don't have to describe to you the panic that went through our hearts and the panic that went through our minds. I mean, in that moment, you would rather be dead and know they were safe. I don't have to describe it to you because if you're a parent, you, you've been there already. Most of us are like the rest of us, so I'm assuming you've lost a kid or two. But uh, also, am giving the acknowledgement that your heart would have been ripped in half in that instant. And we, we started screaming her name out above the crowds. You know, you get to a point and you don't care what you look like. You don't care what anybody else is going to think. This is my flesh. This is my blood. This is my, the most precious gift that I have other than my Savior. And, and we started screaming over the heads of people, Amy, Amy, where are you? We started going in and out of stores and we're asking people, have you seen this little girl with blonde hair, curly hair? You know, and you start to think the worst. What if someone took her? And, and, and you, you cannot even go there lest you lose the strength to go on looking. And we walked into this one big store in Australia. We have Woolworths. And I remember when I was a kid in New York, Woolworths was a five and dime store. Uh, but in Australia, it was like a Target. And we walked into it and we're scurrying around, running around, calling out her name. And there was Amy, just like Jesus was in the temple uh, with the teachers of the Lord discussing. This is what his life was about. And there was Amy in the woman's department looking at dresses. <laughs> then another time, uh, Amber was now maybe three, four years old, and we had just finished having church, and we had a fantastic service. And we left, and we got in the car, and we went home, and we got home, and we realized 
Instead of three kids, we only had two. Where's Amber? And then it dawned on us. We locked her in the dark in the church. And we raced back to the church to find our beautiful little girl, Amber. How your heart sinks and you feel so stupid and so inadequate. I thank God that he picked a woman to be the vessel that would carry his human body who is as ordinary and as normal as you and me. Amen. Amen. You know, and we can look at our mistakes and the enemy will help to take out a magnifying glass and uh, expand the errors. But God doesn't see them. Isn't it amazing how the devil will take out the magnifying glass to enlarge them, but God doesn't see them. The apostle Paul was right when he says, therefore, we refuse to see any person who is born again after the flesh but we will see them as a new creation. That's how God sees us. Well, I'm only two-thirds of the way through the story of losing my kids. <laughs> we were on vacation with my mom and dad, and we were up in northern Queensland where there are crocodiles, and uh, we were touring, and we were going to go to the Great Barrier Reef, and, and by this time, Robbie was about three years old. I guess three years old is a dangerous age. <laughs> Robbie was about three years old, and we're in this central area where the tourists are, and uh, all of a sudden, Robbie's gone. And we're screaming his name, Robbie, Robbie, and we're, we're asking people if they saw this little blonde-haired, curly-haired boy. And uh, finally, we find him walking out of one of the restrooms. Mary was just like you and me. She made mistakes, but she also had a very nurturing heart. I love the fact that Jesus thought about her on the cross. You know, one of the things that I've noticed, and uh, I'm gonna start wrapping up this message here. One of the things that I noticed was that the wedding in Galilee, out of four gospel writers, only John writes this story. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Only John writes this story. And it's John that on the cross, Jesus looks to John and says, this is your mother. And the Bible says that from that time forward, Mary, the mother of Jesus, though she had other sons and other daughters, she lived with John. But this is what I see in the fact that John records the story of the wedding in Galilee. I'm going to read a couple of passages to you. In John chapter 2, verse 2, And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, uh, Jesus, they have no more wine. And Jesus answers, Now Mary's comment becomes far beyond a normal statement when you understand Jesus' answer. He said, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And what this tells me very, very clearly is that 
Mary went up to Jesus and nudged him and said, hey, they ran out of wine. She was referring to the fact, I am absolutely convinced based on Jesus' answer. She was referring to the fact that her son had often come to her aid in the kitchen. And when they had run out of oil, multiplied the oil. And maybe when, uh, if Joseph was still alive, the provisions weren't there and he would multiply the food. You see, there was a crisis a gourmet crisis. There was a crisis at dinner time. There was a crisis of natural elements not being sufficient. And the first thing Jesus does, sorry, the first thing Mary does is go to her son Jesus and by his answer, he says, woman, it's not time for the world to see me yet. And I, I am absolutely convinced in my heart that Jesus had often done miracles at home and Mary treasured these things in her heart and she knew that her son had the answer even to something as mundane or as simple as, yes, yeah, some other human beings are having a festivity. You know, Jesus said, it's not my hour yet, but you know what he did? He turned the water into wine. Why? Because a wedding feast where uh, uh, two sets of parents have a son and a daughter getting married, it is the whole world to them. And even though it wasn't his time yet to reveal that who he was, he stepped out of his opinion and he moved supernaturally because there were two sets of parents that to them, this was one of the most important days of their lives. I love this God because he gets humanity. He gets relationship. He understands the importance of every personality and every person inside of that personality. But the fact that John's the only one who writes this story tells me that John noticed. You see, John often refers to himself in the Gospel of John. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John always refers to himself as that. He never calls himself John. He's the guy that Jesus loved. And I guess I could imagine that between him and Peter, they would always tease each other. And, uh, you know, John would probably tell Peter, yeah, you're the, you're the one with the big mouth and you'll run in where angels fear to tread, but I'm the one that Jesus loves the most. But it was the nature of John. We see that in his epistles, he always writes about the love of God. And we see that um, he's the only one of all of the apostles who did not die a martyr's death. He's the only one who died a natural death. And uh, we see this compassionate nature in John. And I think that John, he watched relationships. He watched the dynamics. And he, he's admiring this teacher, this one that he's coming to believe is the Messiah. And I think John often thought to himself, I wonder, I wonder what it was like as a kid. I think John took note of what happened at the wedding 
because I think John probably sat down with Mary on many occasions and said, talk to me. What was Jesus like as a little boy? One of the reasons why I say that is because just one, and, and I'm not making a doctrine out of this, it's just I'm thinking, I'm sharing. But John writes at the end of his gospel, and there were so many more miracles that happened that we could never feel. This book wouldn't be big enough to write all the stories of Jesus. I think John noticed this interaction between Mary and Jesus because John took interest in people. John uh, saw it more than a ministry. It was people first. Ministry is what you do because you love people. Some people are into ministry because ministry is a position and a title and it validates them. Some people are into ministry because they just care about people. Forget the stupid title uh, and let's just care about people. And I think John was very much that way from, from, from his innate nature. And so he notices little things like this, the dialogue going on between Jesus and Mary, the request, and I am convinced that John followed that up and said, Barry, I want to talk to you sometime when you got a few moments. Here on the cross, carrying the weight of the sin of the world, he was already sweating drops of blood before one hair from his beard was plucked out. He was already sweating drops of blood long before they put a crown of thorns in his head. He was sweating drops of blood long before one of the shreds of iron tied to the whips had even touched his flesh. The weight of the sin of the world was already crushing him on the inside. And so now he is in the full throes of all of that agony physical agony, emotional and spiritual agony, and he knows the worst has not yet come. He's about to go into the belly of hell and go mano a mano and see Satan face to face with all of his demons. He knows the hell that's still ahead of him. And he says to John, this is your mother now. I want you to love her. I want you to take care of her. I want you to honor her. And John being the disciple who understood love as the epicenter of God's heart, took Mary and made her his family. There was an instance where Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, and he was having a meeting. And they said, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside. And he said, Who's my mother? Who's my brother? Seems like an odd contrast when you look at what he said on the cross. He says, anyone who does the will of my father is my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Here, this is what I'm concluding with and this is where I'm going. If we only know humanity from a fallen perspective, and God's concept of humanity is far more grandiose and relationship, relational. I don't think for one moment when Jesus made that statement, he was putting down his, bio, his, his mother or his brothers. 
I think what he was saying was in God's family of redemption, relationships should be such a priority that everything gets raised up to a whole nother level. And I believe that we, as sons of God, it's not just our biological relationship, it's our spiritual relationships that have to matter to us. And I'm going to say to you, every one of you, that on this Mother's Day, we need to think deeply about the words of this message, not because I spoke them, but because they were spoken on the cross in agony and everything the cross represented was relationship. And we as Christians, if we're honestly going to live as sons of God, it's one thing to have your sins forgiven. Do you care about not continuing the same sins tomorrow? Everyone could say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins. Are we equally committed to not causing those sins tomorrow and the day after and the day after? And Jesus made it very clear that the epicenter of not sinning is loving your brother the way you would love yourself, loving your mother, loving your father, even in their failures. I thank God I lost three kids and they were found again, and they still love us even though we were incompetent for a moment as parents. But what am I saying? Maybe your parents haven't been everything you would have wanted them to be. But love is that agent that can win over every disaster and help you to win every conflict. Love covers a multitude of sins. I have found this, that when I love others, it covers me with grace for some of the silly things I've done. And when I love others, the love I'm showing is covering their sin too. So to love puts a cover of grace over me, and it puts a cover of grace over the people we're loving. This Mother's Day, I want to honor every mother. And if you can look back and maybe think of a few things you might have done differently, don't sweat it. None of us have got it all together. But the fact that God gave you the blessing to have a child or to have children, there's a favor on you and a blessing on you. And to every person, a mom-to-be, or would-be mom, dad, brother, and sister. I think it's important that we understand relationship is premium to God, not just spiritually. Oh, we got to be born again. Relationally, God does humanity better than humans. And if we are of the household that's been redeemed. We need to do humanity like he does humanity. And we need to learn to love one another more and more. So to all the moms, we honor you today. To all the dads, the sons and daughters, grandmas, uh, to everyone, let this be a day where we honor God by honoring our mothers and giving the respect and the honor that is due, even if that means 
having to extend a veil of grace and forgiveness. Let's let the past truly be buried under the blood of Jesus. And let's celebrate in the redemption and the hope that he died to give us. Can I get an agreement? Amen. Amen. Well, as we close, to every one of you, if you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, I want to give you that opportunity right now. All through this message, I've talked about a God who does humanity better than us. A God who's relational. A God who cares. I can't separate relationship from what I understand about God. Theology that isn't clothed in the acts of his love is no different than the law chiseled on stone. God doesn't want you to believe in words. He wants you to believe in the one who breathes and feels and thinks. The one who cares. The one who loves. The one who takes time to be there. Of all the things I love about God, I love the fact that he gets us. In this room, there might only be 10 people, and yet all 10 of us are so different. And I'll look at some of you and think, what the heck are you doing that for? What? And I'll misread you because I come from a completely different perspective. But God is so relational that not only does he have the genome DNA map of who you are genetically and physically and biologically, he knows who you are. He knows how you're wired. You see, this isn't about coming to faith as in a religion. This is about coming to faith that there is a creator who created you and has a purpose for you. He loves you and wants to connect with you and plug you into his life so that you can find your destiny. Amen. Being born again is about allowing relationship to begin with you and God the Father through Jesus Christ. Right now, the Spirit of God is talking to you, and I am sure He is. Say yes in your heart. If you're ready to ask Jesus to come into your life and have a relationship with the Creator of the universe who knows you down to the last count of how many hairs you had on your head when you came out of the shower this morning, if you're ready to have a relationship with him, he's been waiting to have a relationship with you. So I'm going to ask you to do something real childlike. Because Jesus said, unless you're willing to be like a child, you can't enter into his kingdom. I want you to repeat a prayer after me. And what we're going to pray is something simple like, God, I believe you. 
And sure, there have been times I have screwed up. I've messed up. I've sinned. I need you. So come. We're going to pray this prayer. The Spirit of God's talking to you. Everyone, everywhere, just join with us. Dear God, I believe you love me. And I believe you care about me. Thank you for not condemning me. Thank you for understanding me and understanding what I've been through and where I've come from. God, thank you for loving me. And now I want to learn how to love you the same way you love me. Forgive me. I'm so sorry for all the things I've done wrong. Forgive me, God. Wash me in the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus, come into my heart. Live inside of me. Let all of you live inside of me and lead me all the days of my life. Amen. And Father, I thank you for those who have prayed that prayer right now. Whether they're in Africa, South America, whether they're in North America, states around the USA, Europe, wherever they might be, I thank you that while this is a childlike thing to do, you, like the wisdom of the universe, will honor it. And so, Father, I pray for these now that have come to believe on you. Holy Spirit, fill them, fill them, fill them. Let the power of God, your presence, fill them and lift the weight of sin in Jesus' name. And we just speak life into them. Satan, you have no more authority over these people because the blood of Jesus now snaps every chain and redeems them. I thank you, God, that they are now sons of yours, sons of God. Amen. And you give them life right now. A miracle is happening deep within them, and they are being born again. Holy Spirit, bring scriptures to them. Bring them into the company of other good, solid, balanced Christians. I pray that you will continue to lead them and guide them in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have just prayed that prayer today, I'd love for you to inbox us on Facebook or otherwise call the church office, 813-855-8491. Let us know. Tell us that today you asked Jesus Christ into your heart. And if you're willing to trust us with a mailing address, we want to send you a New Testament. I don't care where in the world you are, we'll send it to you. And uh, this New Testament is great because it has Bible studies in it for new Christians, people just starting relationship with God. And best of all, it contains the Word of God from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all the way to Revelations. Church, I love you guys. 
Look forward to praying with you on Wednesday, spending the day in fasting for the nations of the world. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your giving. And thank you for you. God bless you. I look forward to hugging each and every one of you. When we finally come back together, I'm thinking of just having a banquet. And church will just be, let's eat and hug each other. <laughs> God bless you. Have a great Mother's Day. Love one another. See you soon.